Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and how, Lord, you're working in our lives. And Father, I thank you for giving us the opportunity, as always, Lord, to gather together as a body of believers to glorify you. We enter this place, and Father, Lord, we seek an audience of one. And Father, we want you, Lord Jesus, to know that we love you. And Lord, that we glorify you and that we lift you up. And thank you, Lord, for just this time of, of precious worship. And um, my, you bless the remainder of our service as we seek you through your word. Lord, I decrease that you would increase I'm to myself, of myself. So fill me with yourself. That everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive your word today. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 29. We're almost done with this book, yeah? Proverbs chapter 29. Uh, we're now in part 30 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say that, Wisdom That Works. And as always, you know this, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, all of chapter 28. I gave you four points. You might be, excuse me, you might remember those points. The first point was a stable government. Say that. A stable government, and that's verses 1 through 3 of chapter 28. And Solomon says, when a wise, a faith-filled, godly leader is in power, this leads a nation towards stability and security. In other words, justice will prevail and helps maintain social order. Someone say amen to that. The second point was blessings of the blameless. Say that. Blessings of the blameless, that's in verses 4 through verse 20. And Solomon's saying that God knows how to make sure that the blameless will inherit good. And then he also says, he whose walk is blameless is kept safe. The third point was partiality and punishment. Say that. And punishment, verses 21 through verse 24. And, and that, that valuing the person more than what is true and just destroys proper administration. The fourth point was greed and generosity. Say that. Greed and generosity, verses 25 through 28, that God blesses sincere, say sincere, generosity, right? A truly generous person doesn't miss what they have given away. And the person who refuses to see poverty, the person who ignores the needs of the poor, God will not bless. God does bless those who give freely, amen? This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is, The Way of the Righteous Say That, now, this chapter is very basic, but very powerful, and so I want to give you seven points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Point number one is accept correction. Say that. Accept correction. Write that down. And we'll look at verse one. It says, a man who remains stiff-necked, say stiff-necked, after many rebukes, that's corrections, will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Now, in the Bible, a stiff neck or, or hard neck is used as a figure of speech to speak of the stubborn attitude that resists and disobeys God. Someone, listen now, who refuses to bow in submission. The symbolism comes from livestock in the case of an animal refusing to respond to commands. This is the kind of person who thinks little of God's merciful patience uh, and assumes judgment will never come for the continual rejection of wisdom and stubborn heart against God. And they simply, these people, simply refuse to be corrected. They're not willing to change. They're self-willed. They're unteachable. Say unteachable. 
And we see this in the history of Israel, don't we? If you read the Old Testament, you'll see this quite a bit where God often warned them through the prophets to turn from their sins, right? And I want you to write this down, Jeremiah chapter 19. Write it down, Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 15. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring on this city and all the villages around it every disaster I pronounce against them because they were stiff-necked, stiff-necked, and would not listen to my words. Listen, if you persist in sin, listen, listen, church, if you persist in sin, if you're corrected often, yet stubbornly refuse to listen, you will reap the consequences of that. Do I have a witness? I mean, how? Well, look at the text. After many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without what? Remedy. How many times do we have to hear the same thing over and over and over again until we repent? Until we turn from sin? And so I'm, I'm saying this, that we need to listen, right, to God's word and accept correction. And God corrects us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, also through using other people in our lives to correct us. Amen? So let's accept correction. Say accept correction. Number two is wisdom and wickedness. Say that. Wisdom and wickedness. And let's look at verse two now. Wisdom and wickedness. Verse two. When the righteous thrive, love that, the people rejoice. And when the wicked rule, the people groan. So godly leadership in a community, godly leadership in a nation generally leads to good outcomes, right? But when the wicked rule, the community, the nation itself suffers. Lawlessness and chaos increases and justice and freedom diminishes. Why? Because wicked rulers ignore godly wisdom. And this is why Paul in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 2, 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, what he does, Paul encouraged Timothy to instruct believers, if you're safe, say amen, us believers to pray for all government authorities. And he says, pray for kings and all those in authority that we may, listen now, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And so the goal of that prayer is that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and holy, dignified in every way. You guys got that? And you see, prayer can influence whether a government contributes to believers to the believer's ability to worship and evangelize freely and to serve God effectively. Amen. The bottom line is this: people enjoy life when righteous people rule but always suffer under wicked rulers. Isn't that right? Verses 3 and 6. Stay with me now. Verse 3. A man who loves wisdom. Say, loves wisdom. If you love wisdom, say amen. A man, woman who loves wisdom brings joy to their father, his father. Isn't that true? Isn't that true, parents? When our kids are loving godly wisdom, and living and guided by God's wisdom, it brings joy to our hearts. I mean, there is such joy, there is such gladness and such peace about their lives and their future, right? Because as parents, we want our kids to succeed in life, right? I mean, I do. And to live godly, honorable lives. So a man, a woman who loves wisdom brings joy to 
their father, their mother, but, let's read on, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. In other words, friends, fools waste their wealth on harlots and other, others of low character, showing they are opposite of the one who loves wisdom. Now listen, friends, it breaks a father's heart. It breaks a mother's heart to see their kids brought to poverty because of sin, doesn't it? I mean, when you see your, your kids going the wrong way and they're living a life of sin, they're living a life of poverty, doesn't that break your heart? It does. And what comes to mind, and, uh, and we've, we've, uh, it's kind of be re- reoccurring with the prodigal son, right? comes to mind as a prodigal son. Uh, he embarrasses himself in part by what? Carousing with immoral people. Squandering all that he had, and, and, and he was carousing with immoral people that brought miserable consequences to his life, including the loss of all his money. He was brought to poverty. Not, not just, you know, financially, but also spiritually. Verse 4, by justice, and he changes the topic here, by justice a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. So a ruler, he's saying this, a ruler or any government who rightly applies justice contributes to his kingdom or his nation stability and peace. On the other hand, immoral government, greedy leaders who accept bribes and other forms of corruption make the nation unstable and it's prone to collapse. Right? So one champions, one champions justice, the other allows money to motivate their decisions. Still with me? Say amen. Verse 5, verse 5. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading the net for his feet. Now we know that flattery, flattery is praising and complimenting and giving attention to someone with the hope of getting something back from them. Right? Getting something back from them. It has... In other words, a deceptive bent to it. And a person who's being flattered, what he's saying here, can get caught in a trap. And I want to tell you, friends, the flatterer doesn't flatter you to please you, but to deceive you and to profit from you. You guys with me? Verse 6, an evil man is snared by his own sin. In other words, the evil person is ruined, entangled, caught in their own sin or by their own choices or decisions. But, say, but, a righteous one, I love this, a righteous one can sing and be glad. You you ought to underline that, highlight that, circle that, but a righteous one, so an evil man is snared by his own sin, own choices that they make, but a righteous one can sing and be glad, right? A righteous person, one walking right with God, upright, doesn't have to worry about such things. Why? Because they have joy. And this is why they can sing. You see, if sin belongs to the wicked, then Solomon's saying, then singing and rejoicing belongs to the righteous. Can someone please say amen to that? If you're safe, say amen. Listen, friends, when we're living right before God, when you and I are dealing rightly, dealing with our sin rightly and immediately, in other words, confessing and forsaking our sin, if you and I are following godly wisdom, living with a clear, clear conscience, honoring God by living right, get this, singing and rejoicing, rejoicing is an expression of that. Stay with me here. The singing and rejoicing are an expression of what's inside of the righteous. Just just as much as sin is an expression of what's inside the wicked. So here's the lesson. You ready? 
Here's a lesson. Obey God. Say that. Obey God. You want to be one who's rejoicing and singing constantly, consistently? Obey God. Obey God. An evil person unsuccessfully looks for happiness in sin, while a righteous, God-honoring person finds joy in obeying God. Right? I mean, don't you notice that when you're obeying God, living right, there comes a sense of joy and rejoicing in your life? Yes? Romans chapter 14, verse 17, write that down. And I love this portion of Scripture, Romans 14, 17. Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Say righteousness. And peace and joy, say joy, in the Holy Spirit. You see, righteousness and joy are linked together. When I'm following God, when I'm, I'm obeying Him, when I'm doing what is right before His eyes, righteousness and joy exude out of my life. Amen? Verses 7 and 10, through 10, excuse me, 7 through 10. Verse 7, the righteous care about justice for the poor. And I want to stop there. Question, is God concerned about justice? Awesome, say it. Yes? Yes. Okay, you just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. And if you read the Bible, you'll find the Bible is crammed with passages, passages where God expresses his concern for human justice. Right? The Hebrew word, for justice is mishpat. Say that. Mishpat. And often in the Old Testament, this word, get this now, this word is applied to God's own character. Got it? God's own character. Mishpat. God's own character. In other words, God is just. Say, God is just. God is absolutely fair and righteous in all his dealings. He gives to each person exactly what they deserve. So the command, listen now, so the command to care about justice, get this now, means treating people right because you know God. Got it? Treating people right because you know God. Because one of the marks, listen now, of a righteous person is that they care for the poor. They have a heart for the poor. And listen, it's more than just you know, it's, it's more than the response of, feeling of, 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 of response of feelings of pity for the poor. Rather, it's considering the cause, the cause of the poor. In other words, friends, it's thoughtful, genuine concern. It's genuine compassion in action. Now, in the Bible, the word poor often means more than simply lack of money. The Hebrew word, excuse me, the Hebrew word, Root word, root word is dal, D-A-L. Say D-A-L. That's dal. It implies weakness. It implies being low. It, it implies powerlessness, helpless, disadvantage, and so forth. Dal. In the Bible, this concept is applied in some very concrete ways. It's caring for the poor. It's remembering the widows and orphans, not plowing the corners of your field so that the hungry can get food, speaking the truth, paying a fair wage, having honest scales, scales, not cheating, not engaging in extortion, and refusing to take advantage of the less fortunate. You guys with me? If you're safe, say amen. We need to see the need, listen now, and care enough to get involved. All right? See the need and care enough, say care enough, 
to get involved. It's knowing and doing what God requires for us to do for the poor. Now listen, when we work for justice, what we're doing is we're truly working for God. And because, listen, God, because God cares for, about, for and about them, he wants his people, us, to care for and about them too. You see, friends, when we stand up for justice, God will be standing with us. Because that's his heart. He's a God who's a God of just, justice. He's a just God. Let's read on, but, say but. The wicked have no such concern. They don't care. They don't care about the poor. They don't care about the less fortunate. They can't even understand it. You know why? Because they're rebellious against God and God's wisdom and because it doesn't serve their self-interest. If it doesn't benefit them, they don't care. Verse 8. Mockers slash scoffers. Mockers and scoffers are, are those who arrogantly laugh at God's truth. They reject God's truth and consider it ridiculous. They, they treat godliness as a joke and don't even attempt to understand his truth. And you see, friends, in the family of fools, they're the worst offenders, these ones here. So mockers, scoffers, what? Stir up a city. Say stir up a city. Literally set on fire a city. In other words, the mocker and scoffer fan the flames of trouble. They're troublemakers. And they, flam, they, they, they fan the flames of trouble. They undermine harmony in society, and such attitudes lead to chaos. But, say, but the wise, but wise men, okay, women turn away anger. I love that. The wise work to prove themselves, listen now, peacemakers. Say, peacemakers. To, to calm, to calm things down. They, they refuse to join a mob. They refuse to join a riot. They refuse to act as vigilantes or sneer at law and order. Instead, instead, they provide a calming presence that is more likely to result in actual justice being done. And what the wise, righteous person does, they obey the call to pray for, as we said earlier, kings to pray for kings and all who are in high positions, right? In hopes Listen now, in hopes we can, what, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Amen? Question, when arguments break out, do you fan the flames or calm things down? And we as believers need to calm things down. Don't fan the flame. Don't make trouble. Calm things down. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Amen? Verse 9, verse 9. If a wise man goes to court with the fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is what? No peace. In other words, it's a waste of time, Solomon's saying, it's a waste of energy trying to rationally argue with fools. Because fools are, listen, they are incapable of rational argument. They, they, they're closed to reason. And even when right judgment is given, they can't reconcile. I want you to look at the very end of the verse. He says, and there is no what? Peace. In other words, there is no end or fruit of the debate. The fool won't be satisfied nor convinced. You're just wasting your time. Verse 10, bloodthirsty men, literally men of blood, men of blood, hate a man of integrity, say integrity, and seek to kill the upright, say the upright, the righteous, 
cruel people oppose honest people. And we see it all the time, don't we? Cruel people oppose honest people. And it's possible, it's possible this proverb specifically refers to evil, wicked people who arrange for witnesses to be killed before they can testify. But more generally, it speaks to the way wickedness hates honesty. Hates honesty and hates being exposed. Now listen, doing right, say doing right, doing the right thing, doing right can lead to eternal benefits. Praise God for that, right? But it often means being persecuted by a fallen, sinful world. They don't like us believers who live righteously. We see that, don't we, all the time. Now I want you to write this down, Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, Jesus says this, Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we know that history, right? History records the persecution of Christians throughout the world. But the most obvious, obvious example of bloodthirstiness of the wicked is what? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, right? The blameless Savior. Now, I'm going to read this verse again, verse 10, from the New King James, because it, it's, there's a different rendering to it. It says, the bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. Seek whose well-being? The blameless. The upright seek the blameless well-being. In other words, righteous people care for other righteous people. Amen? And brothers and sisters, we should care for one another. So righteous people care for other righteous people, which is a great contrast to what? To the bloodthirsty people. Right? Verse 11, verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger. I'm going to stop there. He's saying this, a foolish person lets her, his, listen now, or her emotions control them. Their emotions are volatile. So a fool gives full vent to his anger, but, say but, a wise man, woman, keeps themselves under what? Control. Self-control. Say self-control. Come on, say self-control is one of the, listen, is one of the, Biblical marks of godly wisdom. Someone who has self-control, right, shows that they are living by godly wisdom. Because even when angry, a wise person chooses words carefully or chooses to walk away. Because that's what wisdom does. Right? It uses discretion. Should I say something or not say something? Maybe I shouldn't say something because it, it, it creates havoc. Instead, you know what, I won't say anything, right? Or if I do, I'll choose my words carefully. Or you know what, better yet, I'll just walk away. Amen? That's a person of wisdom. Accept correction, wisdom, and wickedness. Number three is rulers and the poor. Say that. Rulers and the poor. Look at verses 12 to 13. If you're still with me, say amen. I know it's early, but you, you should be awake. Amen? Verse 12, if a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become what? Wicked. And there's corruption in society tends to start at the top, doesn't it? In fact, it always starts at the top. 
Listen, when a leader tolerates deceit, liars will rise to power. And eventually all his advisors will be corrupt. The whole government, the whole government will be evil and wicked. And don't we see that? Don't we see that so much? Verse 13, the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. So, so despite their differences, Solomon's saying, they have something in common. And this is what they have in common. They both have been given life, life. They both stand before the one who gave life. And they will ask 1 Peter 4, 5, write down, as 1 Peter 4, 5 says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So they have in common that God has given them both life, right? Life, common grace. Also, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 14, if a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. So the poor are those who what? They can't stick up for themselves, right? They're poor. They, they can't influence others with bribes or gifts because they don't have any money. They can't hire expensive lawyers. So God promises, what, what, what Solomon's saying is that God promises to take care of leaders, say leaders, or rulers who make decisions fairly. They're fair. And the point is this, moral character determines the length of rulership and leadership. I'm going to say it again. Moral character determines the length of rulership and leadership. And this is why, this is why, I love this, this is why the kingdom of God will, listen now, will go on forever. I'm going to say this again. Moral character, uprightness, holiness, determines the length of rulership and leadership. This is why the kingdom of God, say the kingdom of God, will go on forever. Revelation, prove it, I will. 11, 15. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God, Lord, and his Messiah, and he will reign, say reign, forever and ever and ever. Amen? Accept correction and wisdom and wickedness, rulers and the poor. Number four is disciplining, not spoiling. Say that. Disciplining, not spoiling. Verses 15 through 16. Let's look at that first. The rod, verse 15, of correction imparts wisdom. I'm going to stop there. Wisdom, wisdom, right, imparts wisdom. Disciplining produces wisdom. That's what it does. As you discipline your child, it produces wisdom. It teaches self-control. Kids need limits, right? They, they need limits. Kids need limits. And kids need discipline. Discipline that gets their attention. And you see, they need to know the consequences. They need to understand what they've done. So the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but, say but, a child left to himself, herself, in other words, one who is undisciplined disgraces his mother. Listen, a child, one who has been left to him or herself, one who has not been disciplined, one who has never been trained with loving correction, often brings shame to their parents. How true is that? Very true. Listen, kids 
don't raise themselves. Parents raise kids. And God has called us as parents to raise, correct, discipline, lead, and guide our children. Amen? And he kind of changed the subject here. When the wicked thrive, verse 16, when the wicked thrive, so does sin. In other words, sin spreads like cancer. But the righteous, say the righteous, will see their downfall. So when the end happens, those who honor and obey God will watch the wicked receive their consequences. So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. In the end, God wins. I know it doesn't seem like that right now. <laughs> when you look at our world and our culture, our society, but in the end, God will win. Amen? If you're safe, say amen. When you and I see wickedness thriving, and we do, all right, we shouldn't despair. We shouldn't freak out. Why? Because God is still in control. He is. He's still in control. Okay, though the wicked are multiplied, God will not allow them to triumph in the end. They will fall, and we will see their fall. You guys with me? Back to discipline, verse 17. Discipline your son, daughter, and he or she will give you peace. Oh, I love that. They will bring delight to your soul. In other words, what Solomon's saying, this instruction, listen now, parents, this instruction begins at home. At home. Say at home. Parents must not leave the responsibility to teachers at school, to pastors, to youth pastors, to Sunday school teachers, or to society. Discipline starts in the home by parents. Can I get an amen? It's a command. It's a calling. It's a commitment, parents. Right? And if we parents fail to discipline our children early in life, we will have no peace or joy. Listen, it's futile, man, and dangerous to wait until your child is a teenager to attempt to guide their moral path. Discipline. Say discipline. Discipline them. Discipline them when, when they're young, and they will, what, be a joy to live with. Amen? Parents, God has called us to do this, and it's lovingly disciplined them. Amen? Point number five, the value, and I love this, the value of God's word. Say that. Accept correction, wisdom, and wickedness, rulers, and the poor, discipline, not spoiling, and the value of God's word. Let's look at verse 18. I want you to follow me here, okay? Verse 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, the King James Bible renders it like this. Where there is no vision, the people, what? Perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, I want you to stay with me here, okay? Now, this is a verse that a lot of Christians have latched onto claiming that it provides biblical basis for the importance of vision and leadership. And I want to tell you, this is not what Solomon wrote here. This is not what Solomon's saying. This verse says nothing, listen friends, says nothing of the importance of having a church that is led by, listen, led by vision or a visionary. He's not saying that. Follow me. What this verse is saying is the importance of honoring God's revelation. You guys with me? Rightly handling 
his word and warn those who would water it down by sloppy or deliberate misuse. This proverb, this verse emphasizes the amazing value of God's word, his word presented to his people. And we know that before the Bible was completed, God what revealed his word through who? Through the prophets. And they communicated his message to the people. And here Solomon, what he does, he observes that the absence of divine revelation, the absence of God's word leads to moral and spiritual decline. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed from what? Lack of knowledge. And this is why it's so important for us to know God's word. Can I get an amen? As your pastor, listen, look at me. I love you. I love you with all my heart, but I'm not here to entertain you. Are you guys with me? I'm here to lead you. I'm here to feed you. And I'm here, listen now, I'm here to guide you and train you through God's word. That's my calling. That's my responsibility. And sadly, friends, most of today's preaching is all stories and entertainment. Listen, if all you're getting is stories and and energetic presentations, the only thing you will walk away with is the entertainment value and the story that you heard. And you might feel good emotionally, okay, but you're spiritually dull. And that entertainment and stories will only last for a couple of days. Are you guys with me? Someone said this, all stories produced is dull-minded sheep who are addicted to stories. And Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, that in the last days, say last days, in the last days people will no longer, listen now, endure healthy teaching. They will no longer endure sound doctrine. They want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Are you guys with me? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to interject stories. I'm not saying that. But if stories is all your include is, is, is all that you have, then it's wrong. It must be God's word, amen? So you're right. Now let's look at the end of the text. But blessed is he who keeps the what? The law, the word. There, there's happiness for the one who keeps the law, the word of God. It's taking the word, it's applying the word, and watching God honor his word in our lives. It's his word that gives us the ability to live a righteous life. Amen? So again, nothing wrong with stories. Nothing wrong. But, but we must preach the word. The word. The word. The substance of your preaching should never be all stories. It should be the very word of God. Amen? So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Be hungry for God's word. Be hungry for God's word. Are you? Are you hungry for his word? And we ought to come every Sunday morning just hungry to dive into God's Word. Wednesday nights. Every day we ought to be in His Word, right? Going through the Bible, reading His Word. Let His Word minister to our lives. That we have this hunger, this hunger for Him, for righteousness and holiness. Hunger to, to know God. And we're going to talk more about the Word next week. Verse 19. A servant cannot be, a servant, excuse me, cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. So in other words, it will take more than words to get him or her to respond and learn wisdom. Point number six, you ready? 
thoughtless speech. Say that. Thoughtless speech. Verses 20 through 22. Verse 20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So this person is a a special kind of fool. Okay? All right? Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So he's a special kind of fool. We'll call this person a super fool. Say super fool. Okay? His impulsive speech sets him beyond the hope of even the normal fool. That's how foolish he is. Okay? Let's move on. Verse 21. If a man pampers his servant from youth, he will bring grief to the end. So the idea is that employees ought to be taught to be responsible, not pampered. Got it? Employees who are not corrected, employees who are not disciplined will be a source of grief in the end. That's what he's saying. Verse 22, an angry man stirs up dissension, in other words, conflict, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. In other words, uncontrolled tempers, Cause trouble no matter what the situation. In other words, it makes sin abound. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Here's the lesson. Learn to control your temper or your temper will control you. Amen? And let's be honest. Let's be honest. We're in church. How many of us have undergone tremendous heartache because we lost our temper when we should have kept our mouth shut or should have just walked away? Huh? It's so heartbroken to see what the damage has done. Verses 23 to 25. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Pride, say pride. Pride is what makes a person want to stand head and shoulders above everyone else, yet it's what will bring that person down, down. On the other hand, humility. Say humility causes you to exalt others ahead of you, right? Ahead of you. But in the end, you receive honor. Amen? So be humble. Right? Be humble. And one of the marks of a believer is humility. Be humble. Verse 24, the accomplice of a thief is his own enemy. He is put under oath and dare not testify. So he's saying here that the partner of the thief is, kind of, is the kind of person who will repeatedly vow to tell the truth but reveals nothing about his partner's criminal activity. In other words, what he does, he places loyalty to his friend above his loyalty to the truth and to God. Verse 25, fear of man, in other words, fear of what other people might say or think, fear of their, fear of their opinions will prove to be a snare. But, say but, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I love that. Now let me say this, friends. Wherever you're at, work, school, just in general, wherever you're at, the world's going to give their opinions about Christianity, about how you live and what you think and what you believe. Don't fear their opinions. Amen? Don't fear their opinions. Don't fear them, but trust in God. And when you trust in God and you stand up for what is true, you're kept safe. Got it? 
So there's nothing to fear. Speak up. Lovingly speak up and defend the truth. Got it? Now I want you to write this down. Psalm 5611. Psalm 5611. Psalm says, in God I have put my trust. In who? God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. Then he says this, what can man do to me? Nothing. Amen? So don't fear their opinions. Don't fear what they think or what they say about you. Stand up for the truth. You have nothing to fear because your trust is in God. Because your trust is in God, you're kept safe. Amen? Verse 26. Many seek an audience with the ruler, but it is from the Lord that man gets justice. And we know that it's common. It's common to look to human leaders, right? It is. We look to human leaders and others uh, put in place for the purpose of enacting justice. But guess what? But because they're human, they're fallible. And because they're human, some of them are, what, corrupt. And the point of, of this Solomon saying is that man does not always judge rightly, but God does. Amen? And the ultimate source of all justice is who? God. He's a just God. His judgment will be the ultimate righting of all wrongs. Amen? Accept correction, wisdom, and wickedness, rulers and the poor. Disciplining, not spoiling. The value of God's word. Thoughtless speech. Number seven, we're almost done here, is the godly and the ungodly. Say that. The godly and the ungodly. Verse 27. The righteous detest the dishonest, and the wicked detest the upright. Did you get that? The righteous detest the dishonest because we're living righteous lives, right? The wicked detest the upright because they're not living upright lives. Here's Solomon, what he does, he highlights the fundamental conflict between those who pursue evil and those who pursue righteousness. Listen, friends, there will always be contention between the righteous and the ungodly. Always, always be contention between the godly and the ungodly. All right? So don't be surprised when the ungodly is against you. Right? We shouldn't be surprised. It's going to happen. It will continue to happen. Right? Now, I want you to write this down. John chapter 15. Verses 18 through 19. John 15, 18, 18 through 19. It says this. John writes, if the world hates you. Okay, Jesus is saying this. If the world hates you, in John, Jesus is saying, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. In other words, the world system. But I have chosen you out of the world. Right? In the world, but not of the world. That is why the world hates you. Amen? Now let me say this. If the world doesn't hate you, there's something wrong. If you say you're saved and the world doesn't hate you, something wrong. You guys with me? Because you ought to be living in a way and displaying righteousness and holiness, living in a way that they see that and hate it. And if they don't hate you, something wrong. Are you with me? 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they hated Jesus, they'll hate you. Right? So here's the lesson. We'll wrap this up. You guys ready? Here's the lesson. Live like we truly belong to God. Now notice I said live like we, what? Truly, truly belong to God. Not just live like you belong to God. Live like we truly belong to God. Because there's a lot of folks out there who say, well, I believe in God. You know? But live like you truly belong to God. Let me ask you this. When people see you, the way you live, would they say you're more like the world or more like God? Huh? I mean, think about that. That's, that's sobering. I mean, what's the answer, right, going to be? And hopefully that we live in a way where they say, man, that's, that person, you could tell, is different than the world. Right? So this is it. Live like you know him. And live like you love him. Amen? Because knowing God, when I know God, right, and love him, I mean, that's what's going to come out of my life. I live in a way where I know him, and I cannot help but display goodness and holiness because I love him. Amen? So, Live like we truly belong to him. Got it? The way of the righteous. Let's all stand. Father, we we thank you for your word.